Welcome back. George Pelicanos is a D.C. literary superstar. He, of course, is too modest to admit that, but we occasionally loan him out to New Orleans or New York, but most of his work, which has won fans around the nation and the world, is set right here in the District of Columbia. George Pelicanos was born in Mount Pleasant and raised in Silver Spring, where he still lives. He joins us today to talk about his latest projects and other local writers he's enjoying in particular these days. George, welcome to the program. Thanks, Kojo. How you doing? Doing pretty good. George Pelicanos is the acclaimed writer of 21 crime novels and a writer and producer on the HBO series The Wire, Treme, and The Deuce. George, for those who do not know your history, tell us how your family arrived in the Washington region and the businesses they built here. Uh, well, my dad came over from Greece when he was a toddler, and he lived in uh, in Chinatown, which is where the uh, a lot of the poor uh, immigrants lived. Um, and uh, my mom was Greek-American, uh, born in Annapolis. And, um, you know, we, like many Greeks, they went, we went into the food business. Uh, my dad, when he came back from the Marine Corps in World War II, he uh, got right into that with my grandfather on 14th Street, 14th and R. And then, uh, and then my dad had a diner uh, at uh, 1225 19th Street which many people in Washington know is uh, the old CF folks, but it was called the Jefferson Coffee Shop when my dad had it. Um, so there it is. Maybe delinquent is too strong a word, but you were not exactly a model teenager growing up. What were you like coming of age in the 1970s? And did your run-ins with the law make you a better crime writer? No, I don't think it... <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think of myself as just a normal uh, guy who grew up, you know, was a teenager in the 70s here. I liked, um, um, you know, I liked playing basketball. I also liked drinking beer and getting high and, and driving a muscle car and, you know, doing all the things you do. Um, I wasn't thinking about, really thinking about being a writer back then. Uh, I was just living my life and working. I always loved to work. Um, Started out at 11 working for my dad and delivering food downtown on, uh, during the lunch uh, hours. And it was a f really a tremendous opportunity that my parents gave me to work when I, starting out when I was a kid because I got socialized very, very early on. And um, I was walking around the city. That's really when I started to make up stories in my head because I had that time on my hands and um, I love movies, and I started sort of making up these movies in my head while I was working for my dad. And those were my earliest uh, forays into really into writing books. George, let's talk about some of your more recent work. DC Noir, a series of short films you wrote, produced and directed, now available on Amazon Prime. I've been watching them in the opening credits. You proudly assert that the series was filmed entirely on location in the District of Columbia. And I got to tell you, a lot of the names I see in those credits are names I know from around the District of Columbia. Tell us about some of the stories in the series and what it was like filming here. Well, it was, it was really great filming here. Um, we had cooperation from the district government and the D.C. Film Office and the neighborhoods. We used a lot of people... Um, as background, uh, which people call extras. We use them for security. Um, we, like you say, we proudly shot 100% within the borders of Washington, all four quadrants. 
Um, we had 60 Howard University students that interned with us as uh, production assistants and got their first, uh, their first credit that, you know, many of them, I understand, have, have since gone on to work in the industry. Um, and you always need that first credit. So uh, that was, it was really nice. And then, um, you know, my son directed one of them, Nick Pelicanus, which I thought he did a beautiful job. Um, the actor, uh, Banga Akinabi, who's been in our shows and was also, uh, Tom, Tom Robinson on Broadway in To Kill a Mockingbird, he directed one and, and Banga is a local guy. He grew up in Montgomery County. Uh, Stephen Kinnagopoulos directed the third one and, and I directed one. So we had a, we had a, uh, we had a good time. Well, you mentioned your son, Nick. You and I have talked about your children over the years. You and your wife have two black sons and a Latina daughter. How are they? They're doing great. They're all, um, they're all working, which is a blessing. <laughs> and seriously, I mean, right now it's, it's, a, it's a big deal to be working. And, and my sons are in the film business. They work on crews. And my daughter uh, manages a dog kennel out in Rockville. Uh, one of those doggy daycare places. So it's great. And I'm working too. You know, the, the, <laughs> the whole thing with this pandemic was, you know, I was down like everybody else. But once I started working again, which uh, last summer, uh, you know, things changed for me psychologically. And work is very important, um, uh, which is why, unlike you, I'm never going to retire. <laughs> <laughs> what, was it, what was it like having Nick direct your work? Well, I, I tried to stay out of his way. I tried. Um, there were times when I gave him advice, and and then I had to step back. But he had it. He had it in hand, and I was really proud of the way he um, dealt with the crew with with respect. Um, and that's what I was most proud of. But he did, he did a really nice job. I think uh, I, I gave him one of the stronger scripts. I wrote all the scripts, but I gave him one of the stronger ones to be honest with you, because he's my son. <laughs> and, uh, well, I'm proud of him, too. We've got a clip from D.C. Noir in which we are introduced to a white cop patrolling a black neighborhood at night. He comes across a dad reading outside with his young daughter and then a group of young men. Let's take a listen. My name is Peters. The younger officers in the 4th District call me Sergeant Dad. I don't mind, as long as they say it with respect. I ride midnights, mostly. I prefer to ride alone. You get aches and pains when you're behind the wheel for hours at a stretch. I should get one of those uh, things the African cabbies sit on. Looks like a rack of wooden balls. I've been doing this for 22 years now. I guess the damage I've done to my spine or whatever, it's permanent. Hey. Pretty late for her to be out. He was just hiding in my apartment. We're just getting some air. Yeah. Been some armed robberies on this block. I know. We won't be out too long. Okay. Smile from Officer Friendly. Well, Sergeant Peters seems to understand that he's not necessarily universally beloved by the people he's sworn to protect. Tell us a little bit about the scene and about this character. He's an old uh, school cop uh, in, in the sense that 
he has gotten to know people uh, in the neighborhood, and and now he's now he's police in the neighborhood where he recognizes grandchildren of people that he's he's known for years, and um, you know it's sort of my contention that that style of policing, that neighborhood policing, that that uh, sort of went away is responsible for a lot of the problems that we have because um, people who have been uh, locked up or shaken down for, um, for trivial things or for nonviolent drug crimes are not going to talk to the police, and neither are their children. And that's how um, a successful police force operates, is by get, you know, gathering information. Uh, it's, it's a partnership, and the drug war is what uh, put a damper on that partnership. So uh, he's, he's of another generation. Um, and one that I think should be, um, should come back. When you first started filming DC Noir in neighborhoods all over Washington in 2017, you said you hoped the series would help put DC on the cinematic map. Do you think that's happening? Uh, we, we need to, we need to have, um, ongoing film production here and it's, and, and uh, you know, I think the D.C. Film Office is doing a good job attracting that, and, and uh, Mayor Bowser's behind it. Um, but the, the companies need to get used to filming here, and, and uh, there, there should be an ongoing tax credit that, that makes that possible. People uh, should realize that what happens, and I saw it in New Orleans, for example, right after Katrina when we were shooting down there, is that the film industry lifted the lifted the economy completely. It's not just jobs for for crew. There's also you know the work that you get from restaurants and hotels and car rental companies, and these cottage industries grow up around it, like sound houses, places like that. So um, you know, I hope it happens. I mean, that's that's still something that I want to see happen here in Washington, and, and I continue to uh, advocate for it. Though you can't give us too many details, fans of The Wire, the HBO police drama that you were involved in, will be excited to know that you are soon going to be filming in Baltimore again. What can you tell us about that project? And where the uh, heck is David Simon? I haven't been hearing from him lately. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's, uh, we're keeping him underground. Um, <laughs> we, we did round up uh, the, the writing and producing crew from The Wire, so we're all together again. I need to make Good. it clear that this is not a sequel to The Wire because that sort of went around for a while, that rumor. However, we are doing a, a, uh, a limited series that involves some very real uh, events that happened in Baltimore regarding uh, the police and its citizens. And um, it's going to be, I think it's going to be really good because it has implications for really all cities around the country. Um, and we're excited. We're going to shoot that uh, late in the spring. We're going to start that. All right. Here now is Brian in Tacoma Park, D.C. Brian, you're on the air. Go ahead, please. Hello and uh, welcome uh, thank you for taking my call, and uh, hello to you and your guests. Um, Hi, Brian. Hey, how you doing, George? I've read just about all of your books, and they all are great. I I, I like the fact that you know D.C., um, and I uh, wanted to know, were you going to write any more about the uh, uh, the black uh, private detective down on Upshur Street? 
Oh, Derek, Derek Strange? Derek Strange, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's my favorite. Yeah. yeah. That is my favorite character. Um, right. I, 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 would, I would say yes. Uh, it's hard to stay away from, from him. And, and you know how it is in a writer's mind is those characters exist. They're still out there. So, um, yeah, I'll go back to him. I, I really like that character. I appreciate that. Thank you very much for your call. George, as a crime writer, you've created many characters who are cops, many who are trying to avoid cops. Has the focus on police brutality in the past year or two in the Black Lives Matter protests changed the way you write about the police? Have you seen it affect the way other writers and directors depict the police? Uh, I think so. I mean, people were trying. Um, you've still got network television that, that sort of... Uh, distorts the reality of that um that you know that there's a show called swat on tv right now that mm -hmm. is kind of mind-boggling because people are wondering why why is there such a swat a thing as a swat team on a police force uh, why why is there why is there this emphasis on the militarization of police mm -hmm. and i have to be clear, you know, I, I think defund the police is an idiotic expression, but it's also a dumb idea. Um, the p police forces should be, continue to be financed, and, and that money should go for, for training and, and, uh, and education and, and also, you know, to pay quality people. Um, you've, you've just got to change the culture, and it's happening. It's happening slowly. Um, but, you know, I've been writing about this a long time. I remember in 2000 or 2001, the first Strange book was about, A Writer's Reign was about a police shooting in D.C., uh, a wrong police shooting. And, and when I went around the country on that book tour, you know, I had walkouts in places like Arizona. People didn't think it was real and they didn't want to hear about it. But it's very real now. Everybody's, everybody knows about it. And, of course, the phrase defund the police is the source of a lot of discussion and a lot of argument because different people mean different things by it. Some people mean that there should be more support for community services, and nobody disagrees with that. But you also seem to think that we need to return to this kind of community policing that my friend Ron Hampton used to talk about when he patrolled in Adams Morgan for more than 20 years without ever having to use his service weapon. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, people. If you talk to people in in uh, in lower income neighborhoods, they want they want a police presence, but they don't want to be hassled when they're walking home from work, or they don't want to be hassled in in their car because um, because they're black behind the wheel or wearing a hoodie or whatever. You know, they just want to be protected, and that you know, it's very important that the that this again that this um, communion between between citizens and police is is reintroduced and reestablished, um, and that's how that's how things are gonna that's how things are gonna succeed. Not by taking money away from the police force. We need police. Here's Erie in Northeast DC. Erie, your turn. Hi, I was just wondering, as a male writer, how you balance having kids and a career. <laughs> uh, I, I, you know, I know it's difficult for some people, but I, I sort of have thrived on the, uh, on the confusion. I was actually the most fertile period of my, my, uh, novel writing career was when my kids were little and there, there was a lot of noise in my house. 
and and you know we had a couple dogs too i mean it was just it was a lot of uh there was a lot going on but i just blocked it out and and uh and i went to work every day and you know that was of necessity too i had to work um so there it is it's different for everyone but i i didn't have any problem with that thank you very much for your call erie george you also write about the incarcerated as you did in your latest novel the man who came uptown the prison librarian is a key character who uses books to help change the lives of people behind bars. You have some experience yourself with the incarcerated and the redemptive power of books. Can you tell us about that, with the book groups that you used to go to see at the jail? Yeah, I was doing that for many years. Um, I haven't done it this year for obvious reasons. They don't sure. let you in. But, um, yeah, I was going down to the D.C. jail and, and other um, juvenile facilities around and and actually jails around the country. And, you you know, you just run these book groups. But basically, it's just getting people talking about uh, books that leads into other discussions. Um, I'm just of the mind that, you know, b books are, are wonderful anyway. But for somebody who's incarcerated, they're um, a lifeline. And uh, at the D.C. jail, they have a, a great library there now, an actual physical library. Um And, you know, it's just been a wonderful experience to be able to do that. I work with a couple of organizations, Free Minds Book Club, Open City Advocates. These are all good places for if people want to donate a little bit um, to uh, that, that actually help people out directly. Um, yeah. And before you, before you kick me out of here, Kojo, I do want to say one thing. First of all, yeah. I want to congratulate you on, on a life well-lived and... and and your work life, you know, because you've got a long life ahead of you, obviously, but just your legacy in D.C. is is unparalleled. I don't mean to embarrass you, but uh, you've been the uh, the voice of reason in this city for intelligent discourse and, um, and rational conversation, and I just want to let you know how much we all appreciate you. Thank you very much. And you've been the voice in this city for crime fiction. And there are people who want to know, when are you going to get back to writing books again? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's gonna, I've, I've got a lot of work in television and the movies right now, and I'm trying to take advantage of that because I really enjoy that, that kind of work. But as I said earlier, I'm not going to retire. So when I'm done with that... Um, I'm going to get back to writing novels, and I will do that for the rest of my life. Um, speaking of books, I want to just mention two Washington books that I read recently that I thought were really great. I was uh, about to get to that, but go ahead. Okay. There's one coming out later this month uh, called Creatures of Passage by Maroa Yahide, and it's a wonderful book set in Anacostia in the 70s um, about a, uh, a cab driver of sorts who kind of ferries people around town who have problems and, um, you know, troubled people. And then uh, there's a plot about a kid, a subplot about a kid who's uh, in, in trouble in Anacostia and the community gets together to, to, uh, to save him. And it's just a, uh, just a beautifully written book in the tradition of uh, Toni Morrison. Very good book. Uh, and then the other book I read recently is called Black Broadway in Washington, D.C. by... Brianna Thomas, who's a Washingtonian, and and that book is sort of a, uh, as the title suggests, a lot of it is about uh, U Street and people like Duke Ellington and all the businesses down there, but 
It's also a history of black Washington that is very concise uh, and and educational for people, especially people who have moved here in the last 15 years who want to know what uh, their neighbors are about and their history. Um, I, you know, it's, it's a really very good book on that subject. So I just wanted to give a shout out to those two. Well, talking about DC history leads me to ask about another subject you've apparently been learning about lately, the 1919 riots, which most people are not familiar with. What have you learned about that chapter in DC history and why is it particularly interesting to you? Well, a lot, uh, a lot of people know about what they called the Red Summer of 1919. There were uh, race riots all over the country, including the, the Tulsa race riots, who probably the most famous. But in Washington in July of that year, um, there were, uh, I guess it was about four days of rioting. But the thing that set it apart from uh, the other riots is that it was more of a race war, a mini war. I mean, black Washingtonians took up arms against... Um, whites who were who were trying to kill them and uh folks don't really know about this i've actually wanted to write about it um in in novel form but um you know who knows if i'll get around to it but um it's it's detailed in this book um black broadway in washington dc if you want to read about it there's a little chapter about it in there it's fascinating uh part of our history here is Angela in Alexandria, Virginia. Angela, your turn. Hi, Kojo. I grew up in New Orleans. I wasn't born there, and I left quite uh, early, but go back all the time. Treme uh, was just wonderful, and it reminded me so much of so many places I knew. The first time I saw the show, I started calling up my brothers and friends and saying, is, is, is that really so-and-so? Is that really, you know, because, uh, you know, I thought it was, you know, you would have made it up. But I said, those are the real places. Those are the real people. Unfortunately, there, there were a lot of people who expect New Orleans to be quite different than it actually is. And uh, so I think they, they missed out on a, a really great show because... New Orleans wasn't what they expected. Angela, you should know that George does a lot of research on the actual places and tries to include them. When I watched D.C. Mar, I was not surprised to see the real restaurant, the Hitching Post, portrayed in there. Oh, yeah. Love the Hitching Post. Because that's exactly where (laughs) where they shot that movie. And I, as you know, I'm pretty familiar with it, too. But I'm afraid that's all the time we have. George Pelicanos is the acclaimed writer of 21 crime novels and a writer and producer on the HBO series The Wire, Treme, and The Deuce. At one point, you said that you had nothing left to say about cops in Baltimore, but that's changed a little bit, hasn't it? Uh, yeah, the, the <laughs> events there have kind of reared their ugly head and, and inspired us to go back. Yep. Yep. Well, George, thanks so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Same here, Kojo. Congratulations. Thank you. This segment with crime reporter George, crime writer George Pelicanos was produced by Lauren Marco and our conversation about combating gun violence in the district was produced by Richard Cunningham. Coming up tomorrow, the Save Our Stages Act earmarks $15 billion for arts and music venues. It's a much-needed boost, but what does this mean for our local venues? When will it be safe to go to a concert or to the theater? We'll check in with our local stages. That all starts tomorrow at noon. Until then, thank you for listening and stay safe. I'm Kojo Nam.
The Kojo Nobby Show is produced by Julie Deppenbrock, Sydney Granin, Lord Marco, Kurt Gardner, Richard Cunningham, and Ines Renike. Our managing producer is Ingalisa Schropsdorf. Our broadcast engineer is Rashad Young. Today's engineer was Kenny Pirot. For past shows and more content, visit kojoshow.org. Thanks for listening to The Kojo Namdi Show, and if you're already a member of WAMU 88.5, thank you for your support. If not, it's easy to give online at wamu.org. Just click the Donate button, and thanks.